You need to make the call right now. I bought a Snickers bar and it was supposed to be packed with peanuts. It wasn't. It only had a lot of peanuts. Dewey Cheatham and Howe got me $2.36. It was really hot outside, so I went to the beach and I burned the bottom of my feet. There were no signs anywhere to warn me of the hot sand. Dewey Cheatham and Howe got the Parks Department to pay me $10. That's a dollar for every toe. I bought an ice cream sundae on my way home from work. 45 minutes later, it was all melted. Dewey Cheatham and Howe got me $5.13. Hello, I'm Fred Dewey. Have you been inconvenienced through no fault of your own? Have you received a very minor injury due to someone else's negligence? Call us now at one nine three four three eight six 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 three nine. That number again, just dial one. We get money. I ordered a cheeseburger from McDonald's and I didn't get any cheese. Even a big company like that didn't scare my lawyers. They got me a settlement of nearly $23. Thanks, Dewey Cheatham and Hal. I'm Robin Cheatham. If you haven't been lucky enough to have been killed, maimed, or severely injured due to someone else's fault, call us now. We can help. We've been handling minor inconvenience and trifling injury cases for more than 20 years. We have the knowledge and expertise to get you every penny you deserve. My mommy said she would give me a treat if I cleaned my room. Well, I did, and she gave me kale chips. Dewey Cheatham and Hal made my mommy give me $2. I have them on speed dial now. Splinters, stub toes, bad scrapes. Nothing is too trivial for Dewey Cheatham and Hal. We take the cases no other lawyers will touch, and we've got our clients tens of dollars. How do we do it? Volume. Call us now. Make the call. 1-934-386-6639. Just dial 1, we get money. Warning. The Long in the Boot podcast contains sarcasm, irony, logic, and occasional facts. Opinions expressed by guests of Long in the Boot are those of the individual and do not reflect the opinions of any corporate or government entity. Due to the use of freedom of expression and those other pesky God-given rights, adult supervision is recommended. Please listen thoughtfully. And hello, everybody. Welcome to the Long in the Boot podcast. I'm your host, Glenn Long, coming to you from the heel of the boot, otherwise known as Southwest Louisiana. We've got a pretty good show lined up today, I do believe, and I'm joined with a, uh, by a special guest host, uh, Mr. Bryant Habits. How are hey. you doing, Mr. Bryant Habits? Oh, I'm living the dream, Glenn. <laughs> so uh, Bryant is a, a school teacher as well, and I uh, don't mean to people my podcast with school teachers all the time, but hey, you know, that's how it works. We have some time off this time of year. We we have we've had an extended period of time. A wee bit. And and do you quick question. Do you know what day it is? Not really. Yeah, I know. That's one of the big problems with the, this whole pandemic thing. And of course the pandemic thing is currently raging again. Especially in this region. Yes. The heel of the boot is covered in muck. Apparently, yeah, it's it's covered in muck and people are fighting over masks and whether or not to wear one. I've when I go out, I, I have started wearing a mask, not so much for any other reason other than I don't want to be hassled if I'm not wearing a mask. And if I am wearing a mask and somebody hassles me, well, then I've just ran into a butthole for the day. And, you yes. know, I can live with that. I It happens. You How know. dare you try to save someone's life? <laughs> well, I don't know if I'm trying to save anybody's life so much. I just I don't like conflict. I don't want to have to deal with with anybody who's going to you know, make a scene. I've seen so many video clips lately of people freaking out. They because, really go off. On yes, people. they do. Um, and in fact, I, we were just talking a minute ago about a Louisiana state representative whose name really doesn't even matter. And he is a commercial thing on his Facebook page. He attacked a mask uh, by chopping it up with a chainsaw and also burning it with a blowtorch. So that was excessive. Uh, well, I thought so. He said, he said masks aren't bad. But mask mandates are. Yeah, you would expect some of that torching and chainsawing to go for some sort of government document instead of the actual, the poor little mask. It can't even stop a virus. I know. <laughs> How can a mask stop a virus if it can't even stop a chainsaw? If you can dodge a chainsaw, you can dodge a virus. <laughs> That's right. And uh, so, he, so he did that. 
And we've just, I've seen so much and they've, they've, now it's just, please wear a mask, please wear a mask. And of course, the other big thing, both of us being teachers is we're all set for school to start, uh, except nobody's really sure of what's going to happen. No one is even close to knowing. All I'm seeing, I'm seeing a bunch of people jumping ship. I'm seeing stuff all over social media. Like <laughs> we're going to homeschool. It's like, oof. Oh, if they offered me early retirement today. I, take it. I'd probably take, take it. it. I'm in, too far gone. In no, fact, I, I uh, I'm, I'm impressed by the administrators who could retire and don't. They are, That's they dumb. are amazing. They, they're heroes. Yeah. They're, they're playing the violin on the Titanic is what they're doing. They're, well, I think that they have dedication. You got to admit that's, that's dedication. Cause almost anybody who's an administrator generally is older and you know, the kids are going to be fine. Most of them, if they get, if they happen to get exposed to COVID, they're going to be like sniffles and ready to go. Yeah. And then we have to, and of course the, the guidelines now, if you have a cough, you need to go home for two weeks. Oof. Well, two weeks. That's, that's, I'm into short term disability then. I don't know if yeah, I can. Yeah, I don't, I don't have the sick days for that. And cough, I cough all the time. I'm, I've been coughing at least since October. And they said if you have the sniffles, you know, you might have to go home. I'm like, oh, that's going to be a real problem because I have allergies so yes, bad. I'm over three decades of allergy season. That's me. Well, most of the schools are dusty too. I've never yeah, been in a school gross. yet that, that was, you know, spotless. They just, I don't think they can keep them spotless really. They have occasional spots. <laughs> occasional. And then of course we got to deal about the kids and how they're going to be masked up. And they're already coming up with mask uniforms. Have you yeah. seen the guidelines now? They have to be a solid color. I'm like, Oh, come on. Can't we just let them have a little freedom? Yeah. I can't have like a Rick and Morty mask. Ooh. No, oh, that would, no. There's probably somebody that would frown upon it's that. It's too controversial. <laughs> and, and we can't have controversy. Controversy is, has no place in the secondary school system. Well, speaking of, controversy last week uh i and deb we talked about uh statue destruction and, and the removal of uh general middleton's name from lsu from the lsu library and then th- this week in the past week or past couple of weeks since we're doing these once a fortnight mm-hmm. the the idea of cancel culture has come up over and over again and cancel culture now and in, in fact, the word itself, or the the pair of words itself, are kind of kind of new. You know, we we actually had cancel culture for a long time. We just didn't have a name for it. Yeah, it wasn't nice and pretty labeled. Anybody seems it seems like anybody can run afoul of of cancel culture today. I know Drew Brees. They tried to tried to get him. I think John Wayne got it today. Uh, they're removing at his name US, from the airport. At USC at USC. They're taking away the John Wayne exhibit because he said some racist things back in the gap. Yeah, it was a, it was actually an interview with Playboy. Oh, I don't I don't want to, you know, reputable I don't want periodical. I don't want to toot my own horn, but I read that interview back in the day. It's for the articles. Oh yeah. It was. It was for the articles. <laughs> actually, it was a it was a gentleman in our neighborhood who uh was kindly enough to sell Playboys to slightly underage youth. That's good. <laughs> and like I saw the inter- paper boy. I saw I saw the interview with John Wayne and John Wayne at that time of course was still a beloved hero of a uh, screen. Yeah. And uh, I read the interview and yeah, it was, it was actually, even to my young ears, it was kind of like, Ooh, cause he was saying some things that I'm not sure were politically correct at the time he said them. I don't even know if there was a term for it yet. Yeah. He seemed, he seemed to really not have been one to give much of a crap uh, when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah. What I, what I like about it though, with, with the uh, getting rid of John Wayne's name is, it's not his name. <laughs> no, not even close. No one knows his name. They don't ever talk about Marion Morrison. Marion. Marion. Yeah, it's a good thing. Hey, I'm Marion. Yeah. Do. You can't be a tough cowboy with a name like Marion. Well, I think he got his butt whooped a lot when he was a kid because he was a skinny little dude, too. Yeah, so yeah. He's like, your name is Marion and you're skinny. Yeah, we're going to hit you now. That's <laughs> pretty much how he lived. Yeah, so his parents, oh, they cursed him. But yeah, but anyway, so John John Wayne is gone now. And Are they going to chip his star off the Hollywood Hot Walk? Maybe they're gonna have to chip a lot. There's of a lot we're of start doing that. We're we are getting uh well I, wide range deletions. You know, go, doing a callback to the last podcast, I, I'm starting to come around to the idea that we should just stop naming things after people. Well, yeah, since we're all flawed and apparently no one's allowed to be flawed anymore, that's what cancel culture really is all about. You've got people now where they are actively trying to remove them from everything because of something they may have said or did. 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah, they're not they're not paying a fine anymore. They're they're being wiped from the matrix. Like they're gone. Yeah, and and it's not new. That was the one that the one thing that really as we researched this, I started going back and I kept finding incidents 
of people being sort of removed from the mainstream of society or from uh, whatever we, whatever this is that we have in America, where it's a combination of both media and society. I went all the way back and I decided, well, I won't go any further than 1900. 1900 is where I'm going to cut it off. Although I'm sure there were people even before. And, and back then, of course, there was no social media. People were canceled by just the market itself. People yeah. made a decision not to endorse or not to give money to or whatever. And, and they just fizzle away into obscurity. And usually cancel culture in the old days was an organization usually made it happen. It wasn't that the public at large canceled somebody. Mm-hmm. It was that some organization or some media group. That had a lot of pull. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they decided, well, this person is no more. We're going to get rid of this person altogether. And so um, just a few examples from today that we know about already. Cancel culture has affected a lot of people. John Wayne is a perfect example. Jimmy Kimmel, of course, they're trying to get rid of him because he uh, of a couple of sketches he did. One of them on the radio. And uh, I actually saw a thing where somebody was complaining because he wore blackface. In a radio station. In a radio station doing an imitation of uh, one of the NBA players. I don't know which one. And, of course, that's a no-no now. At the time he did it, nobody actually cared. No. And it's been done numerous times. I even saw people uh, were upset about uh, the Golden Girls supposedly doing blackface. Yeah, they had like facial masks on yeah, or something like that. unmasks. And so there's a lot of examples of this uh, happening now. And it doesn't take much for somebody to get into a lot of trouble. And there are people who I think maybe take active pleasure in causing damage to people now. They like it. They're like uber trolls. And one of the things, uh, a lot of my friends, I have a, I have a lot of friends on both sides of the fence when it comes to conservatism versus progressivism or liberalism, whatever you want to call it these days. Um, I personally place myself right on that fence as much as possible. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And uh, what I find funny is conservatives think that liberals are the only ones that do cancel culture. Mm -hmm. Liberals think that conservatives are the only ones who do cancel culture. And the fact is it's on both sides of society. Both sides have used it at different times, but I'm going to go back all the way to the very first one that I could really pull up. That was interesting. And for some of you have heard this story before, I'm sure. And it was the black Sox scandal of 1919. The black Sox, of course, were not a team. The Chicago White Sox were, and the Chicago White Sox were accused of throwing the 1919 World Series against the Cincinnati Reds for, get this, money. Lots of money. $5,000 a person. That's a hefty sum of 1919 money. Yes, you could buy a lot with five grand. And I'm not going to get into like real super specific details about it, but the, uh, the whole thing was arranged by a gambling syndicate uh, who was led by Arnold Rothstein or Rothstein, depending Rothstein. on Steen, Stein, whatever. Steen. But uh, his idea was to fix the World Series and then they could make, you know, lots of money. And some of the players were willing to do it. And one of the things you might think, well, they were professional athletes. Yeah, but baseball players in 1919 made diddly squat. Yeah, it's not like professional athletes now. Yeah, you can't you can't buy a lot with diddly squat. Not really. They had to I've pay. Tried. Well, they had to pay for the cleaning their own uniforms. Oh my god, which meant there were a lot of dirty uniforms on so a ball it, field. It wasn't then. it wasn't quite the the pedestal that the professional athletes have been placed on. No, no, ab- absolutely not. They 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 were prized by the people. People loved baseball. Baseball was king in nineteen nineteen. There was no sport, yeah, like it. You know, nothing close. Everybody went to baseball games. Everybody followed baseball. And in fact, once the radio was invented, baseball was everywhere. You couldn't get away from it. And yeah. it was clean. Everybody thought for some reason that it was a clean sport, which it never really was. The players were all, they were either farm boys who were really good at baseball, or they were immigrants who had come in and learned baseball and become very, very good at it. Yeah. Those poor city people playing stick ball out in the, yeah. out in the gutters. So, were they were they actually guilty of throwing the World Series? Well, the answer is yes. They they did it. But the the really weird thing is they were so beloved that the jury when everybody was tried pretty much said, you know, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. They, it's they, baseball. It's they baseball. Didn't do nothing. And they they really thought they had managed to to do it. 
one player in particular who's been portrayed in a lot of different things, especially in uh, the Field of Dreams, the Kevin yeah. Costner movie, was Shoeless Joe Jackson. Shoeless Joe is a legend. Yeah. Say it ain't so, Joe. And uh, which, by the way, was never said by anybody uh, <laughs> as, I, as I was doing research. That was made up by a newspaper, all of it. But uh, he didn't take the money, uh, supposedly. But it turns out that several of the players said, well, he did take the money because it was just laying on the bed and everybody was leaving the hotel room and they weren't going to take it. And she Joe Jackson supposedly just gathered up the money and put it in a shoebox. Yeah. Now I, what happened to that five grand? Who knows? There's no information. I looked all over the place, but he swears he didn't take the money. So he gathered the money, put it in a shoebox, And then who knows? Maybe he donated to a church. I don't know. Yeah, he left it on a, on a doorstep of a convent, but he swears also that he did not throw the game that he played his very best. And if you look at the statistics from the game, he played like a champ. Shoeless Joe Jackson played flawlessly. He had a, an amazing game. What if he's so good that he can cause other people to throw a game while still looking awesome himself? Well, yeah, right? Maybe that's what happened. <laughs> well, you know, in the in the movie Eight Men Out, they portrayed that idea that he almost blew it for everybody because he was playing so well <laughs> that, that he managed to win a game. And they were supposed to lose. Supposedly, the story goes, they were supposed to blow it in four. There's like supposed to be four straight, and that didn't happen. No. And it was supposedly Shoeless Joe Jackson's fault. So I don't know. It's uh, there's so much information. It's so sketchy. You know, nineteen. I mean, we're talking a hundred years ago now. Yeah, and, and that's, that's when like newspapers. It wasn't now to where it was like a slanted thing. So people were grabbing up fake news. This was like actual fake news where they could completely change everything. Oh, they, were they wanted to, so they could sell their newspapers. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yellow journalism the was, best was the best because yeah, it was like Nash. The rules were whatever you wanted to print. Go for it. If it Just sells make papers, it make it happen. It sells papers. If it starts wars, whatever. It, and, and they often did. But one of the problems from this scandal was the owners of the baseball teams were worried that they would start losing money, that fans would turn away from the sport because it was, quote unquote, crooked. And so they created a new thing called the Commissioner of Baseball. And when they were scouting around for a new commissioner, they picked um, – one of the scariest looking individuals, and you can get online and find a picture of this guy, and you will be blown away by his his demeanor just in a black and white picture. He he's terrifying. Wow, he sort of looks like um, you know that that there's a famous old picture from pre Civil War picture of John Brown. Yes, well, when he has no beard, or when he has the beard, when he has no beard, no beard, and he's like swearing in. Yeah, he's got his hand on a Bible or something like that. I've seen. And he that. looks intimidating. Very well. Judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, ah. who was appointed the first commissioner of baseball, he was a judge, and he was as scary as anybody you could ever see. And he was also incorruptible. Apparently, he tolerated no BS from anybody ever. And even though the players were found not guilty, he decided to step in. And even though they were acquitted, he banned all of the players from baseball forever. Wow. Just ended it. Because they sullied the good name of the sport. That's right. They all kept trying to get themselves reinstated. Landis went a little bit further, though. At that time in the United States, there were what they called barnstorming teams. And these were teams that would play in the offseason, or they were players who couldn't quite make it to the majors, and they would form their own semi-pro teams and go out and play each other. They banned, He banned them from that. Wow. Um, he also said any player – from Major League Baseball, who played a game with one of these guys would be banned forever. Oh, so it's contagious. And, exactly. And it went so far that the Baseball Commission told cities, look, if one of your players plays with one of these banned players, your city will lose its ability to have a baseball team. So, I mean, this wasn't just banning some players. This was a complete canceling of their careers. Yeah, they were gone. They were done. Have to go sell insurance somewhere. Yeah, I, and, and there wasn't. You couldn't go to Japan and play baseball at that time. They were they were busy getting ready to take over China. Yeah, and baseball really wasn't in their wheelhouse yet. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, it's coming. They're they're eventually going to get their baseball. But so that was the first really big canceling thing I, I saw, and people were shocked at the time. But very quickly, the society just accepted it. That well, they were banned and they were shunned. They were done, and they kind of just disappear from history. 
And today they're just known as the Black Sox. And really not much was heard from them after that. They were interviewed from time to time. Sheila's Joe Jackson lived for decades after all of this because he was a young man when he got banished. Yeah. And he denied it to his dying day that he had nothing to do with throwing the game. And there is no question, though, that the leaders of that team absolutely took the money and oh, threw yeah. the game. They should have won that World Series. And apparently Rothstein, Rothstein made a lot of money and, of course, you know, did whatever – he did after that, which I would assume would be more illegal things. Yeah, he's pretty pretty famous for being a quite a gambler. But I never considered the idea of those players being canceled, that they just you're not gonna have your name in the paper hardly at all anymore, if ever. And if if it is, it's gonna be because of something bad. Yeah. I mean usually and if you do something like that, you understand, okay, you're gonna lose your job. You might have to pay a hefty fine, but they're gone. The new commissioner said, That's it, they're done. Goodbye. Forever. Canceled. Forever. And uh, so that was the first example I found. But uh, that's not the only one I found. I found one that's similar, but it took place, well, further west. Yeah. And uh, it's a sad, actually a really sad story. The freaking saddest. It's the story of uh, Fatty Arbuckle. And the fact that some of you right now are going, who? Yeah. (laughs) Proves how well it worked. (laughs) Fatty who? By the way, uh, Fatty Arbuckle was what he was called. So I'm not being derogatory yeah, yeah, that towards was, that was his nickname, like in elementary school. <laughs> he didn't like it though. Not really. No, he was a, uh, he was another one that came just really kind of almost the same time, but a little bit later. And, and he was, uh, he was canceled in much the same way for wholly different reasons though. So we want to talk about fatty. Have you watched, have you ever watched any of his movies? They're, they're really kind of hard to find. Yeah. They, they canceled them pretty thoroughly. I've seen one. It was from 1918 called The Cook, and uh, Buster Keaton's in that one. And it's like oh, almost all those silent movies. And I'm, I'm not your normal 33-year-old. I watch a lot of those. I'm a fan. but uh, Actually, weirdly enough, I have a clip from that movie. You want to hear it? Sure. Here we go. And there you go. Yeah, it's a silent movie, so, you know. Ah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, Buster Keaton, he mentored Buster Keaton. He, oh, yeah, and Chaplin. Which is stunning. I didn't even know that. And I've seen some clips from movies. Um, I saw a clip of a a movie he did at Coney Island where he's on a log on a boat flume going down and it's dangerous as can be. He flies out. Then they they didn't have stunt men. No, no. He flies out of that boat, like just across the water, you know, and I'm like, how did he not get hurt? But uh, everything I read said he was super athletic that he, he was. was i mean that's how he got his start in the first place he was a little kid and he would sing in these vaudeville clubs and stuff like that and it was one of those that if you were doing too bad or the audience wasn't clapping enough a big giant crook is going to come out and hook you off the stage and he was dancing around and they just needed him to get off because it was time for the next guy so they're going to crook him and he just swan dives into the orchestra pit and like hops up he's a little <laughs> fat 12 year old kid and he's just Athletic as all get out. Yeah. And every, uh, I read a few people who talked about him later who who were his dance partners in various movies and stuff. And they talk about how light he was on his feet, that he yeah. could dance like a, a maniac. And he was a big guy. He was big. I mean, he wasn't overly tall, but he was, he was pushing three hundo and he was just a large man. He was the star. And, and that's one of the things that kind of shows you how well he was canceled. Most people have heard of now the Marx brothers came a little later, obviously was sound, but most people have heard of, of of Laurel and Hardy and Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and yeah. even Harold Lloyd, mm-hmm. all silent stars that are fairly well known. Fatty Arbuckle's name a lot of times might be known, but it's usually for the wrong reason. Yes, anyway, think of Fatty Arbuckle. He's he's the dirty man. Yeah, he always gets it. And when I was even young, and I'd heard about Fatty Arbuckle, one of the first things I ever heard associated with his name was, "Yeah, he murdered a girl." Yeah, he murdered that chick. Like it's like a, not a not a clean murder either. Yeah, and I did. I just kind of you know I was young. I didn't care, and I blew it off. But as I was doing research for the podcast, I was like, "Oh my lord, this guy got railroaded bad." But before we get into how badly he was railroaded, let me give you an idea of how well loved he was by not only America but the studios. 1920, Paramount Pictures. Signed him to a uh, contract for $14,000, which, you know, that sounds like pretty good money in 1919. It's about $180,000 today. Not bad. No, not bad. Later, very shortly later, he was offered 
$3 million on a contract, which is worth about $50 million today. And no, that was astronomically crazy. Nobody was even close to that kind of money. By far the highest paid actor in Hollywood. No question. He was incredibly generous to his friends. He made sure that, that they all uh, got work. Even Bob Hope was found or discovered by, by Fatty Arbuckle. And it's so he was, he was as loved as any person could be up until 1921. Oh man. Uh, Arbuckle was filming as usual. He was always working back in the silent film era. People worked constantly. There were no real breaks. And he went to a hotel in San Francisco with a couple of his friends. I love the name, by the way, uh, one of his friends, you got a Lowell Sherman and Fred Fishback Fishback (laughs) good old Fishback. They checked into a three-room suite. So you had a bedroom on one side, a bedroom on another side, and then you had a middle room that was larger where they could have people over. That's, that was the party room. Yeah, And these rooms were huge, like big, high ceilings and ornate yeah. decorations everywhere. This was top of the line. This was Yeah, as top of the line as you can possibly get. This was the St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco, and they had the party room. And, well, since it's three guys having a party, you need a couple of things. One of the things you got to have is – Women, you got to invite some girls. You know, you know it's be boring. It's just three guys. You know, just hanging out. And uh, of course, in in San Francisco as well as Hollywood, finding uh, women who would like to come and party with Hollywood stars, especially a star like Fatty Arbuckle, not a real problem. Nope. They could easily be found. The other thing you needed to have was liquor. Liquor was a little bit more problematic because prohibition was in effect. Yes. So you couldn't just go down to the store and buy liquor. You had to go to meet, you know, somebody, knock on the door. You need know, sort of a backroom deal. Yeah. And it's like, what do you got? What do you need? <laughs> and and you could get your uh, your prohibition liquor, which was always, from what I understand, the highest quality. Highest quality, 100% safe. <laughs> so that's, so the, everything was set up. They had their girls coming. They had the booze. And everything seemed fine. And, and two women – whose names will come up again, but one woman, Virginia Rapp, and the other woman, a lady named Bambina Delmont. Her middle name's Maud, and so I'm going to refer to her as Maud Delmont because Bambina sounds silly. She was the great Bambina. More singles than any other woman in baseball. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they were both there. Uh, Delmont was known in Hollywood circles as a woman who could acquire guests for parties for famous and rich men. That's what she was known for. Uh, she was an actress as well, but that she had a moonlight gig acquiring <clears throat> guests for <laughs> for parties. And one of the guests that she invited was her friend Virginia Rapp. And the night of the party, apparently it was quite a party. Good times were being had by all. And Virginia Rapp was found very seriously ill in one of the bedrooms. And everything gets kind of hinky there when you start researching this uh, because – it turns out that, and this is post-death, things were found out. She had a, a problem. She had a chronic condition, mm-hmm. and liquor made it really bad. It's called cystitis. It's a, a liver disorder, and liquor irritates it dramatically, especially if the liquor is not high quality, which, again, wasn't a problem because prohibition was on, and all liquor was perfectly high quality certified stuff. Oh, yeah. No danger. No danger at all. Completely 100% certified by Fred. Yeah. Hey, is this gin? Yeah, sure, it's gin. Absolutely. Smell it. Yeah, it smells like your bathtub. Whatever. <laughs> it smells like it smells like bathtub water and juniper. Mm, got some juniper juice. Mm. Anyway, she uh, so she had a real problem, and one of my favorite things that it said in one of the stories was she had developed a reputation for over imbibing at parties and then drunkenly tearing at her clothes from the resulting physical pain. She ripped them to shreds and was shrieking like she was possessed by the devil himself. Now, this wasn't like just one time. This was a reputation that (laughs) she had gotten. And even if she didn't drink a lot, it would do this to her. And she would just get into these weird stupors because of the pain. You know, and normally if you, you know, apply somebody with alcohol and their clothes come off, I suppose that could be okay, maybe. This sounds scary. But this sounds really, really terrifying. This is awful. She's tearing at her clothes in incredible pain. And then a week later, I guess she's doing it again. Yes. Interesting. Until she dies. And, uh, well, then there you go. She she collapses at the hotel. She's in horrible pain. A doctor, the, the hotel doctor, 
again, we have hotel doctors in, <laughs> in San Francisco in the twenties. Hotel doctor. And only uh, the best. Yeah. Again, just like the liquor hotel doctors are always the highest quality. You can swear by them. He came in and said her symptoms were caused by intoxication because apparently she had been imbibing heavily and he gave her morphine, which always is a good thing. You should take, you know, you should take a derivative of heroin when you've been drinking heavily. That's what I say. Gets rid of the uh, hangover. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. Better than, better than a bloody Mary. The thing went, the, the party went really bad and she was, uh, she was in bad shape uh, at the hospital. When she finally went to the hospital, which actually didn't happen for uh, a couple of days. She didn't actually go to a hospital for a couple of days. No, they just had this hotel doctor come check in. I was like, you dead? And she was like, no. Okay, cool. And you leave. <laughs> and he shot her up with morphine. Morphine. Gives you more morphine and that's it. And then she went home. And even Fatty is one of them that actually tried to get her taken care of. Like when she was freaking out at the party, he actually bought another hotel room yeah. and had the doctors move her into it so she could rest. Yeah. He was, he did everything he, I guess he should do. I thought I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that they were worried about what might, the one thing that didn't happen is they didn't call the law. Yeah. But obviously if you've got a bunch of illegal, uh, liquor, I don't want coppers. And I assume, I assume if you have people at a party, there's going to be illegal narcotics as well. Probably. Uh, Cause it's a Hollywood party. I'm not making any accusations. No judgment. And uh, But probably. Uh, anyway, they didn't call it the law. Well, she goes home and collapses. And she's she's in bad shape. She's taken to the hospital by Maude Delmont, who tells the doctor that Arbuckle had raped her. And crushed her with his girth. Yeah. And no, there was no indication whatsoever prior to that accusation of any of that. But Maud Delmont, I think, was smelling some money. I think that's really what was going I'm on. I'm pretty sure they actually had a quote from her that said, "Hey, I have a way that we can get some money off of Arbuckle." Yeah, it was to uh, it was I think to her lawyer, maybe. Yeah, and this was pretty fresh off of that three million dollar contract offer. Like this, this dude was in the dough. Everybody knew it too. Oh, he yeah. was he was stinking rich, and she saw the mark, and so she accused him of rape. The doctor who examined rap. This is going to be tough. The, the doctor who examined rap found no evidence of rape whatsoever. You see what I mean? Not even any violence. Like, yeah, nothing. She had a ruptured bladder. That's what she was actually dying from. And she was dying from yeah. peritonitis. Delmont. Th- then the police were called after she made the accusation of, of rap, rape, rap, rape. They called the, uh, they called the police and the police concluded. And I love this. The impact of Arbuckle's overweight body lying on top of wrap caused her bladder to rupture. Yes, that happens all the time. <laughs> it's that's that's why large people can't you know engage in any type of activity of a sexual nature because yes. they rupture bladders. Popping them like yeah. water balloons. Yep it's 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 a well known it's a well known fact, ladies and gentlemen. It's an epidemic. <laughs> At a later press conference, Rap's manager Al Semnacker. These sound like really, really. <laughs> None of this was true. Yeah, I know. That just sounds like a made up name. It's all made up. Accused Arbuckle of using a piece of ice on rap that caused her injuries. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Ice. And then the other story was that when she was freaking out, like other people who were at the party said that Arbuckle was actually rubbing a piece of ice on her abdomen because it was, she that, was burning up in her fever, tearing at her clothes because she was freaking out. Arbuckle said in one interview that he thought he thought it was her appendix. He thought her appendix was was rupturing, yeah, and that's what he was her to get about. hot and super. So pain. he was rubbing her stomach with ice. Later, the newspapers, being the newspapers of this era, came up with that a Coca Cola bottle or champagne bottle was in fact responsible for the damage to Miss Rap. Anyway, um, so enough about all of that. Just know that he was accused of killing a woman in some fashion. But the big story always, and this is what I heard growing up, was that it was his weight. Yep. That he was just so big that he manhandled her like a beast and yeah. crushed her. And so that was the uh, that was the stage for this. And one more thing, real quick, the DA was looking to make some points. The DA, you know, is an elected official, and well, this was this was the primo case. There was no bigger case in America. It was front page news pretty much every day. Yeah. And Arbuckle goes to trial and all of the details, all of the, the gritty details are there. And Arbuckle had a great lawyer, McNabb, attorney McNabb. McNabb. That sounds like a TV show. It does. I like that. 
McNabb and Sons in color. McNabb, though, understood the science, and he called in all kinds of uh, pathology experts, coroners, all kinds of things. They examined the body and uh, said there was no evidence of any of the things he had been accused of. And the jury came back after 44 hours with a 10-2 not guilty verdict. But because 10-2 isn't 12-0, nope. the judge declared a mistrial. And so the DA might have let the case go at that point. You know, that's what most a solid DA probably would have looked at that and said, man, there's no way we're going to convict him, so let's just yeah. let it go. But no, you go back to it again. This one was hungry. And yeah, and in the second trial, McNabb made a mistake. He decided not to have Arbuckle testify like he did the first time. And in fact, McNabb put up very little defense in the second trial, thinking, well, we've got this now. Yeah. And this time the jury came back with a, I think it was a 9-3 guilty verdict. Oh, Lord. But again, not 12-0. So we know what that means. Reasonable doubt. Mistrial. Mistrial. So now we're set for a third trial. And sure enough, the DA is going to follow through and give us a third trial. And in this trial, McNabb went back to his first trial strategy and they knocked it out of the park. Yeah. He left no stone unturned and McNabb uh, did it. He, he got him acquitted when uh, the jury came back in six minutes. Yeah. <laughs> How much deliberation? You do it? Nope. Cool. <laughs> what about you? No. Six minutes. They didn't even have time to smoke a cigarette. No. Maybe just went out and go to the bathroom, <laughs> come back in. <laughs> They uh, they came out and they had written a statement. Yeah, that's what I think. Four of their six minutes was spent drafting a statement <laughs> for for Fatty Arbuckle. Uh, I'm just going to read part of it because I think it's worth reading. Acquittal is not enough for Roscoe Arbuckle. I like that Roscoe instead of Fatty. Uh, we feel that a great injustice has been done to him. We feel also that it was only our plain duty to give him his exoneration under the evidence for there was not the slightest proof to connect him in any way with the commission of a crime. Not even the slightest proof. The only thing that the DA had going for him was a lady who was not in the room when it happened and was lying. Right. And who was well known as a procurer of guests for Hollywood stars. She was, she was sort of like a party planner. By the way, while this was going on, do you know what Maude Delmont was doing? Touring the United States as the woman who fingered, Probably bad choice words. Fatty Arbuckle. <laughs> <laughs> At least she didn't champagne bottle him. Yes, no. exactly. She was actually making money as a uh, as a road show, saying, "I'm the woman who caught him for raping." Oh, my she family. had it. This she, it was her claim to fame. She that was her publicity because she'd never really even been in movies before this, but right. now everyone knew who she was. Yep, and she was famous, and she was famous because of this. And you'd think, well, he was exonerated. Everything's good. No problem at all. Wrong. <laughs> How was he canceled? Well, he was canceled, and that's the really weird thing. And in much like baseball, a new organization had been set up in Hollywood. Hollywood had a reputation as um, seedy and dirty and corrupt. Not like now. No. <laughs> Everything's great in Hollywood now. <laughs> but in the 1920s, not so much. There were no rules for movies then, by the way. No, you could do whatever you wanted. Yes. And in fact, every every kind of thing you could think of, you could find in movies prior to the 1920s. One of my favorites is the movie Tarzan, the original Tarzan. Not yeah. not the ones later, but the very first Tarzan movie that they made with sound, yeah. not the silent movie. There's actually nudity in that. And and it's it's there. I mean, you can't, it's just, it's what Jane is wearing. And when they, when they saw it, when they created the new commission, they had to reshoot parts of that movie so that yeah. they could take that out. And that's what, that was the beginning of Hollywood creating what, what became known as the MPPA or MPAA or whatever, but the it's people like who rate movies. Yeah. And it was uh, originally known as the Hayes commission. Freaking Hayes commission, man. Yeah, Will Hayes. Um, he was appointed as the head of this newly formed Motion Pictures Producers and Distributors of America. And what they were was a censor board. And they came up with a list of things you could not have in movies. And there was a huge list. And uh, this is these are the people who gave us the separate beds for married couples in movies. Yeah. Um, you always had to have one foot on the floor if you were laying in a bed, a man and a woman. 
somebody had to have a foot on the floor. Yeah. Because that way nothing weird could happen because no one's ever done that. So that they were created. Well, Hayes came in and one of the first things he did is he cited Arbuckle as a horrible example of morals in Hollywood. Oh yeah. He was the, he became the poster boy for this nasty, corrupt, entitled, like, Hey, I'm so important. I can do whatever I want. And everything I've read from people who knew Fatty Arbuckle said he was the most honorable and really moral guy you could find. I mean, he lived a, you know, a lifestyle that was pretty amazing for 1919. But as far as treating people decently, you can't find anybody saying anything bad about him. He's a gentle, sweet guy. And the guys that knew him, like Chaplin, you know, he got interviewed and Chaplin was like, mm, Arbuckle never heard a fly. You know, he was, he was like a teacher and he was just like a jolly man who just wanted to make people laugh. That didn't get printed in any newspapers. No. Like not, well, it's not going to sell any newspapers. No. You know, Arbuckle's a regular guy. He's a good guy. That's not going to sell a paper. Wrong. But Arbuckle squashed a woman and killed her. Well, that's that's, gonna, that's sensational. That is, yeah. And so Hayes banned him, completely banned him from making any movies or being involved in movies in any way. Well, at the time he made the decision for life. Yeah. So, boom, canceled. Yeah. And the ones that like he'd already made didn't get shown. Even like his friends, like Grauman's Theater, you know, the Chinese Theater and the Egyptian Theater, all those. He was one of Arbuckle's closest friends. And with that same weekend where the charges first got brought, pulled all of Fatty's movies. And he had like five or six in theaters at that time. Yeah. Pulled them all. Fatty's movies were everywhere. Dozens of them were running at the same time at like Coney Island. You could go in and watch them. The really amazing thing is that not only that, but Hayes also made it so that theaters that showed one of his movies could lose their ability to get movies later. So much like the baseball thing. Yes, you you see similar stuff, and it's for the similar thing. You take one of America's pastimes, and you're selling its good name. You're making it, you know, people think that we have this corrupt, nasty culture. When that is not the case, we are a shining beacon for the world. Yeah, and and (laughs) you corrupt it, you're canceled. Yeah, even if it's not true. Not even close. So Fatty Arbuckle was canceled. He, uh, He was done. And now Arbuckle worked to get his name cleared. He did eventually get the ban lifted, but by then the damage was done. Yeah, the public anyone knew him. Well, the public by that point knew him as the guy who killed a girl because of his weight. Yeah, and the the truth didn't matter, which is often the case with these canceling cases. Truth seems to be lost in the shuffle, and the only thing people care about is the lurid details of, of some of this stuff. And fatty, so fatty was canceled not only by the Hayes Commission. But by America, they turned their back on him. And it's really sad. He did get work because of his friends. He had lots of friends. He did get work as a director for movies. I was reading that uh, Buster Keaton actually created an agreement where he gave Arbuckle money from his own company. Yeah. Which says a lot about Buster Keaton as well. He Buster Keaton was never happy about any of this. It was because no. he was really good friends with Arbuckle. Again, none of that ever got into the newspapers. Nope. And you know, it, it took some digging to find some of this stuff out too. Yeah, and and it's really a, ch- a shame. Arbuckle, uh, if you see ever see an old movie with the name William B. Goodrich as uh, on the credits, that's Arbuckle. Yeah, and also will be good. Will be good. That's my favorite. And uh, so so he did get work, but he never came close to anything like he was making before all this happened. But he was about to. He was about to turn it around in the thirties. Yep, and uh. 33, he was 46 years old. 46. And he finally, finally was going to make his big comeback. He signed this big contract. Who was it? Was it Warner Brothers? Um, Yeah, I believe it was. Warner, Warner Brothers. Brothers. Big, big movie contract for Warner Brothers. And now we're into talkies age, so he's about to be able to actually speak. And, and he could actually speak. He, and he was a great singer. Yeah. And then the day he signed that contract, what happened that night? Yeah. Heart attack. He died. <laughs> Karma. That's not really karma. Not though. even karma. It's like it's, proof it's anti- that karma is crap. I mean, it's, anti-karma. It's very anticarmactic. It's yeah. Uh, it, it's a shame. You know what else is weird about that? While we're on that subject, of him dying after he finally gets a contract and he's ready to start his life over is three other actors. Three other actors have tried to portray Fatty Arbuckle in the movies to get his story across. to get the story across. And those three actors are John Belushi, John Candy, and. Um, Chris Farley. And Chris Farley, yeah. It was going to be Chris Farley's first dramatic role. And as they were negotiating that movie, he died. Yep. I know. Belushi died. It's the curse of Fatty Arbuckle, I guess. 
That's awful. So that's that's another story of cancel culture before it had a name. And it was, again, done by a commission, a, a group of people who uh, decided that they needed to protect the United States of America. And, it, of course, it goes hand in hand with a lot of things that were going on at that time. We had the first Red Scare mm-hmm. at that time, and and they were already starting to sniff around Hollywood for, for closeted communists. Oh, there were communists everywhere. And, of course, one more little quick note on the Hollywood thing, and it was how Hollywood sort of had a problem, too, uh, in the 60s. And really, it was earlier than that, but the 50s and 60s especially. One of the things that Hollywood did, it was it was a fear thing, though, of being canceled. Already that idea of, of losing everything was there. And Hollywood forced gay people to stay in the closet. Yes. The, the studios themselves, because they, they basically made that threat. If you come out or if you say anything or anybody finds out you're gay – you're done. Well, yeah, because the studios are. controlled everything then. Yes. You, you weren't an everything. actor that would just go get contracts. You were a studio player. They made they made gay men get married. Yes. Uh, literally forced them to get married and to hide their gayness. Um, Rock Hudson, Tab Hunter, Robert Reed, you know, the, the Brady Bunch dad. Yeah. Nobody knew. I mean, I'm sure people knew in Hollywood, but these men were not allowed to live their lives the way they would have lived them. Because of this, even people, and this is the one that really gets me, Liberace never came out as gay. He he never he did everything else he possibly could other than say the words. Which I, I have a newfound respect for Liberace. Oh, yeah. Because of that. He's like, all right, I'm not allowed to say I'm gay. I will be as flamboyant Watch as this. possible. Flame on. Let's do it. Yeah. And so, you know, um, a little. Uh, oh, yeah. Liberace. Liberace attaboy. And uh, the other one was Paul Lynn. Paul Lynn, the center square for forever in Hollywood squares. Same thing. He wasn't allowed to say it. But if you watch him, he's so flamboyant. Oh, he's, yeah. he's letting the American know up front. And I think that was the beginning of people kind of standing up for themselves a little bit when it came to their personal lives. It was fear of the studios. And what were the studios afraid of? They were fear afraid of losing money. Yes, because you get the public against you. They're not going to go to the pictures anymore. Right. And so that, that the idea of canceling. It, it was done in a different way, but it's still that same thing. And then we're moving into the 1980s, and this is when cancel culture, the idea of it, takes on a different look. And it starts to become more of what we know now as cancel culture. And it's the 1980s during what was known, strangely enough, is part of this whole moral crusade by the religious right, uh, Jerry Falwell and the moral majority, mm-hmm. a guy by the name of Donald Wildman. And their goal was to clean up the moral decadence that they saw in society. This is at the same time as another thing that was going on called the satanic panic, which were people freaking out about games like Dungeons and Dragons. And, oh, yeah. and that's actually a topic all of all by itself that's really interesting. But the uh, the thing that that I got when I was researching for cancel culture was the show Soap. It was a show, comedy, Soap. It had the very first gay character. And even before the show aired, the word got out that there was going to be a gay character on the show. And it lit a fire under these groups, especially Reverend uh, Wildman, who got advertisers to say they would not advertise on ABC if this show came on the air. Yeah. So notice the shift. We're going to go after the sponsors instead of the company. If we can get the sponsors to pull their ads then we can keep, we can censor what America sees. Yeah. Now in the long run, he attacked not only soap, he wanted to remove Charlie's angels, WKRP in Cincinnati. And you try to think back and if you were watching those old shows, there's not a lot to complain about. I mean, no, they're pretty tame. by modern uh, All in the family. He wanted gone. I could see some things he might have problems with as a reverend, but again, Society was changing. This yeah. was the 70s and the 80s. Things were changing radically. The 80s, though, is where this really took off. And applying pressure to brands, to uh, to to uh, sponsors of television shows. And most of the time, these, these efforts backfired, though. In fact, in the case of Soap, it was such a huge thing before it ever aired that when it finally aired, one of my favorite things, stories was they moved it from its normal time slot, and the first episode aired at 11 o'clock at night for a premiere show on ABC. They moved it to 11 p.m. <laughs> now, in the South, many ABC stations just didn't show it. They didn't it. show it at all. Right. 
the uh, the show got incredible ratings for an eleven o'clock show. And it stirred up too much. People were too curious. You couldn't couldn't not watch it now. Right. They made that big of a deal. You gotta see what's up. And what what's funny is I I was you know, I was young. I was in high school when soap premiered. And you know, the first gay character on television was played by Billy Crystal. Hot dog. Launched his career. But you know, it was no big deal. It just no. really wasn't. Nobody cared. Uh none of my friends cared. Now, Did I'm it sure corrupt were, you and, and your youth friends? No, no, not at all. And, uh, in fact, we, everybody came to school, you know, the next day, did you watch it? Did you watch it? Did you watch it? And then like, yeah, I watched it. What'd you think? It was funny. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, you know, nobody cared. That's usually what people look for in a, in a sitcom. And I've, I've always thought that, that Billy Crystal, you know, it, cause that was the other thing people were telling Billy Crystal, Oh, you can't do this. Man, your career's going to end. Your career's going to end because they'll always want you to play a gay man. And, uh, I've never seen him play a gay man other than in clips of that show that I've seen. There you go. And so once again, not a big deal, but uh, the cancel threat was there. It was all over the place. Another group that took this same tactic was Jesse Jackson, the rainbow coalition. They were doing it for civil rights purposes, but it was the same idea. You go after the sponsors and you can get action taken care of. So it's all part of the same movement. And finally, the big, the big cancel of that period was South Africa. Because apartheid was going on in South Africa, so the split society was, you know, no bueno. Yeah, and, it was like this is, you know, if y'all don't know what that is, it's almost like Jim Crow. Yeah, it was. It yeah, was. It was their version similar setup. Yeah, it was a slightly Dutchy version of of Jim Crow, and in some ways, actually worse. Yeah, and it, Nelson Mandela, of course, thrown in prison forever for that. Where he did not die, by the way. That's one of the most believed things for some reason people they, think they thought he died in jail there are so many people president that, i know he's a president from jail i know uh, there's a lot of people that think he died in, huh. i don't know it's one of those weird things that people believe well, can't go, go ahead and cancel that thought exactly sports teams across the world were the first ones to do it they just said we're not going to go to south africa anymore and we will not play any teams from south africa they canceled them yeah and then companies said we will not invest in anything owned by a South African company. They disinvested. That's what it was called. And you couldn't no nobody could invest in a company that was based out of South Africa and sponsors were encouraged not to invest money in companies that invested money in South Africa. It, so South it, Africa literally was canceled and uh, until it changed. And, and so it, it's not necessarily that cancel culture can is always bad or good. It can be used in a lot of different ways. Well, yeah, it's like the Montgomery bus boycott. That was you're canceling that company because yes. they were corrupt. They did something. They're doing something bad and you were trying to fix it. And, and if you think about it, that worked really well, that was actually a very effective means of doing this. Hit him in the wallet. <laughs> That's where you need to do it, which brings us to today and the fun of today. And what's changed about all of this today? Well, it's clearly social media. Yes. Well, it's, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Every time you, you kind of get the shivers when you start talking about social media now because uh, there's just so much involved with it. And the big thing, though, is it allows a lot of people to have it, – it's allowed people to have a voice, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it can cause problems. And now what happens is, since we're in this time period where everybody's looking at everybody's past, we saw this at first with comedians, I think. Yeah. I think that once you saw this with comedians, you, you really should have kind of, kind of known what was coming. Because if comedians can't make jokes because it offends someone, and that's really what this is about. The yeah. new cancel culture is about personal offense. Does it offend a group? Does it offend a person? Does it offend a woman? Does it offend a man? Does it offend a... Uh, yeah, if it's if it's insensitive, which is defined by whoever, yeah, whoever the offendee. There's is. no there's no set pattern of what is offensive and what isn't. We're, we we some things in society have been accepted. Uh, you don't say certain words; they're going to get you in trouble. You don't. Well, you don't wear blackface anymore. No, don't do it. No, you're going to get in trouble. And okay, we got that. That's a rule. Write it down. And learn that the problem is they're adding the rules as fast as possible. And they're no. So then you break a rule that didn't exist yet, but now it does. And then you're done. Yeah. And that's the problem. Look at John Wayne. Something he said in the 1970s is wrong now. Yeah. Now, would you say that it was wrong then? Probably. Probably. 
It's one of my favorite words now. It's problematic. Problematic. I love that word. In fact, what was once something that conservatives used against progressives in society has been turned completely around. Progressives then used it on conservatives or companies that they didn't like. And now both sides are doing it. Oh, yeah. It's it's definitely. It's, it's cancel war. Everywhere. I, uh, I saw one and you're going to. What musical did you recently watch? Oh, Hamilton. Hamilton. Freaking Hamilton. Did you like it? Magic. Was it? Magic. All total magic. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, man. And uh, it was a I, have a, I have a thing about musicals. I'm not a big fan. Now, that doesn't count cartoons like Frozen. I got I got yeah, grandkids. Yeah, I, you, you know, don't, it's not considered a musical. Right. I'm talking I mean, about not the, for, for grown ups. I'm talking about really solid musicals like uh, um, what's a what's a musical that it's been pretty much canceled. Showboat. Yeah. Showboat. You can't have that now because it's got it's problematic. <laughs> Song of the South. <laughs> Song that of was the, a musical. <laughs> well, it was. And, and you know, it's, it's completely canceled. The ride at Disney. Disneyland yeah, is going to be changed now. I didn't even realize the ride was associated with Song of the South. I had no idea. I knew about Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Bear and those stories well, and stuff. Like old Way stuff. before well, I knew canceled. about the movie. This, this movie never got a DVD release here, ever. Well, But what was weird is when I was a little kid in Kansas City, it was shown. I mean, they advertised it. Song of the South coming this weekend. Uh, and, you you know, everybody, ooh, it's, it was just like Gone with the Wind. It premiered at least once a year at this yeah. theater, you know, and everybody raced to it. I didn't realize that that theater was, you know, specializing in racist motion pictures. Yeah. Uh, but uh, It's but, problematic. Again, problematic. The uh, the new thing, we've seen it. We've seen a bunch of people to make this. Uh, Drew Brees got attacked. Yep. You know, people were trying to wipe his name off the record books or whatever. You know, just don't shut up, Drew. Yeah. And uh, Ellen caught flack because she sat next to George Bush. Liberals yep. came out of the woodwork mad at her. And uh, all of this is, of course, social media. Uh, Roseanne Barr said some pretty heinous things. She got herself pretty well canceled. She got actually canceled. She still got her a voice, show. but it's, yeah, from her own show. Uh, Jimmy Kimmel looks like he's done. Yeah, he might be. And big difference now is what happens is these groups get together in social media and they aim their guns at the, the brands that sponsor all of these shows. And once the brands pull their money, it's done. Yeah. And that's where we are today. But I saw that uh, there was a hashtag and this made news. I saw it on the news. I said, this is, you're got to be kidding. And it was hashtag cancel Hamilton. Why? Oh, it's because it wasn't tough enough on slavery. No, part of it. Well, that, I read that. But here's the thing, and this is the part that got me, and I think this might give us an indication of what's really going on. It turns out that it was one person. Rosa Clemente, a former vice presidential candidate for the Green Party, you know, them. Oh, yeah. She says she conjured the hashtag on June 28th. She later linked to a petition singing, seeking to pull the movie and declared, you cannot simultaneously yell or tweet that uh, hashtag Black Lives Matter while also singing, dancing, and profiting from the celebration of Alexander Hamilton. Her tweet got 16 likes. Wow. 16. I'm not on Twitter, but I know that's not a lot. The petition has yet to receive 400 signatures, yet it made the news. Wow. So maybe the problem that we've got is that the news is giving too much validity yeah, to all they, of this. Yeah, they add too much fuel to all that. And I'm sure there are people who don't like Hamilton. I'm not saying there aren't. Um, I'm, I've, I've been told it's great. Uh, you, well, in fact, I think it was you. It was me. Just moments ago. I am I am that man. <laughs> so now we're in this weird, murky place. And uh, as we come to the to the end of a, of a podcast, uh, what do you think? What have we learned about – what do you think the future holds – as far as cancel culture goes, I don't think it's ever going to get any better just because you have both sides are now so strong against the other side. And since you're getting it from both sides, I don't see the canceling going away. You know, you'll get the the liberal progressive side. They're trying to cancel things because of, you know, like if you are someone in the South or even anywhere else in the country and you're just like, you know what? I really like the police. I think we need them to be a functioning society. They're going to go after you because you're bad. On the flip side, if you're conservatives, you're looking out for other stuff. Like right now they're trying to pro- – I see stuff all over social media. They're trying to boycott the NFL. First it was Kaepernick taking the knee, and now it's because they're going to play a black national anthem before the football games for the first 
week or two, however long it is. Yeah, yeah. It's that, so, uh, so now they're like, well, we'll see. We'll, we'll show them. We're going to boycott the NFL. They're, they're trying to cancel these things because they're showing too many differing opinions from what they have. Yeah. When really, in the end, it's a game. And I don't care about the opinions of the people playing the game. Maybe we give that them. Maybe we give them too too much credit. I guess we're we're definitely putting them on a pedestal. People like to, they are just athletes, and Hollywood celebrities are no better than anybody else. And from right. what I can tell, many of them are raving idiots. Yes. And uh, so why are we why are we giving them this much weight? Uh, what's the word gravitas? Gravitas. And it's it spreads like wildfire more now than it used to. Just because I mean we don't have the yellow journalism anymore, but we have social media, which is where all, your news is based on a meme that you saw, right? And people get. I mean, I well, even even something as simple as you know starting school, just people start screaming about it's masks everywhere, and, everywhere. Like I want to go back to school, but my kids ain't wearing a mask. Okay, yeah, what okay. if they have to? They ain't going to school. Then you're gonna teach them? No, uh, <laughs> no, I got to work. Okay, I get I, that. I watch I watch this cancel culture thing just grow and grow and it it's sort of like and the and the gulf between the two sides gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. And as a history teacher, I know it's it, for me it's pretty concerning. I'm I'm older though, so I do have the the knowledge that I'll be dead before it all blows up, I hope. And uh and then my kids will have to worry about it, so. Yeah. <laughs> and uh but it's it's sort of like two lines, two armies on either side of uh, this big divide yeah. sniping at each other and occasionally picking one off every now and then every, every eventually you are going to run out of people. Yes. You know, and I really truly still to, to, to this day believe the vast majority of Americans don't care about either any of it, that they're just trying to work their jobs, pay their bills, raise their kids and just live life. I have a feeling that social media amplifies a bunch of disaffected people who are really good at using social media. I think a lot of people think they have more of an effect than they actually do. They give themselves more credit than there are people that they just thrive on it. They need it. And conflict people thrive on conflict. They have to stir the pot and they have to feel like they are a voice. Like even in this little, very small community, you have these people who are trying to rise to the upper echelons of it. Yeah. And they need that attention. They need that influence to where what they say is going to mean. Something. And if somebody does something they don't like, they want to ruin them. They don't just want, you, you they don't want them to just shut up. They want to take their ability to make money away, get them fired, canceled, canceled. And it's kind of a scary thing. It's, 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 it's weird to think that there are people who want to ruin other people, completely remove them, erase it's, them because it sounds an awful lot like what, Stalin did. If you screwed up, that's one thing, but he killed your whole family. Yes. And he like photoshopped you out of pictures. And I'm, <laughs> I'm seeing more and more stories where one person screws up and then their wife or husband loses their job too. Yeah. They weren't part of it. Doesn't matter. You're associated with them. Yep. And that's frightening. It's terrifying. And we're canceling these people because because of a difference of opinion half the time. And that used to be what people liked about this country. Now you could have progress if you had different opinions, not if you try to cancel them. Now that being said, I don't have a problem with society coming down on somebody who deserves it. Yeah, I don't. That's the market. The market will decide the market used to decide, but today the market's skewed because of the weaponization of social media. Yeah. And you can't believe it. It's, it's too much. I guess that's what we've learned. We've learned that we don't know where this thing is going. Yeah. I would really like it to stop. Yeah. It's and been a, a rough hundred years. <laughs> it's been a rough year. <laughs> yeah. We've, we've concentrated that entire 100 years into I, this year. And I think we can all agree that 2020 is still weird. It's been a day. It has. And uh, I enjoyed having you here. I hope, hope to have you back again as well. Oh, anytime. And uh, everybody out there, I want to say a couple of things real quick before I wrap it up fully. Thanks everybody who listened to the first podcast. Uh, it was, I, I was, I was honored actually. I was surprised and I've got a phone number. If you want to leave a message that I might play on the air, the new phone number for long in the boot is three, three, seven, five, zero, two, nine, zero, one, one. Again, 502-9011, and you can leave a nice little message there. If you leave a really nasty message, don't leave your name because I will play that on the air. And uh, so so there you go. Again, the website is www.longintheboot.com. 
and email long in the boot at gmail.com. And I am working on the website. I'm doing it slow. I got all kinds of things going on right now. So it's just the way it is. I always look for a quote to, to kind of wrap things up. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Robert Heinlein. And he has a character whose name, coincidentally enough, is Lazarus Long. Whoa. Yeah. And Lazarus Long has been changed to where he's lived many lifetimes. And he has seen things happen over and over again. And he's especially has seen things happen because of opinions, feelings, all kinds of things. And he, he snaps at one point and he says, he says, what are the facts again and again and again? What are the facts? Shun wishful thinking, ignore divine revelation, forget what the stars foretell, avoid opinion, care not what the neighbors think, never mind the unguessable verdict of history. What are the facts and to how many decimal places you pilot always into an unknown future? Facts are your single clue. Always get the facts, which I think sums it up pretty nicely. Yes. Well, say good day, Brian. Au revoir. And goodbye, everybody. Have a real nice day. See you in a fortnight.